Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But can we go ahead and just pray really quick together before we dive into God's Word? Father, I just... I thank you for today, even though it's smoky and, and hazy and it just looks weird outside. Father, we ask that you be with those that are affected by the fires. And, and uh, Father, that you would help these fires be put out and the smoke be cleared. And Father, we ask for parents as uh, his school started this last week and it's getting into full gear and new routines are starting. Father, I just ask that you be with families and uh, give them some time to just relax this weekend and reset and get ready for the coming week. And uh, Father, in our, our society and life now, with all the, the COVID concerns that are out there for health and, and loved ones, Father, we, there, there's so many things that are on our minds that, uh, Father, we come and we lay them at your feet. Father, we ask that you teach us today, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, because I don't think we're going to have any words up on the screen magically during our live broadcast today. So open up your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be starting in verse 1. Um, if you've missed out on any of the previous sermons and you wanted to get caught up, you can visit the website, the same one for signing up for the men's breakfast and the marriage uh, marriage night that's coming up. If you go to lpcoli.com, you can find links to all the past sermons there. So if you wanted to get caught up. But today we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. So let's go ahead and read this together. Here we go. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where maybe it started off a little bit like this, where they said, you know, have I ever told you about that time that uh, Johnny and I went to Rainier? And you say, no, I've never heard this story before. And they start telling it to you. And then like five minutes in, you realize I've heard this story before. Maybe you've heard this story more than twice now before. You've heard this story hundreds of times and they just continue to tell it. Maybe they didn't even ask if you'd heard this story. Someone you've hung out with a lot, they just start telling a story again. And you go, man, I've heard this a hundred times. Maybe you listen, maybe you just kind of cut them off and say, hey, you know, you've told me this before, I don't know. But why would someone be repeating themselves story-wise over and over and over again? Most of the time because it's an important story to them. It's, It's a great story, it's something that was impactful in their lives and they want to share it with you. 
Here, Paul is telling the Philippian church that I have no problem writing this to you again. Whether or not this is another response already, or it's been the same response that he sent the other church, Paul has no problem saying this over and over and over again. And in verse 1, it says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in the Lord. This is the, the sixth time now that in the letter that Paul has used the term rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And he's, Paul is ready to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again because it's important. What we're going to see is that he's going to tell them that there is no righteousness under the law. And that righteousness is from God through faith in Christ Jesus. And that nothing in the world can compare to the importance of knowing God, knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. And as we become more and more like him. This is a familiar story to Paul. This is a familiar uh, expressions and sayings to Paul that he's going to use over and over and over again, and he does not tire of using it. He does not tire of using it. In verses 2 through 6, we, we look at kind of righteousness under the law. Because in verse 2, it says this. It says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, maybe you're reading this and you're going, okay, who are, are these, who are these three groups of people he's talking about? He's not talking about three groups of people, he's talking about a specific group of people. Now we don't know if this group that is often referred to as the Judaizers or the circumcision group, if they had infiltrated Philippi itself or Paul was just taking them as an example to make his point. But the Judaizers, the circumcision group, were people that were telling new believers, Gentiles that came to know the Lord, that you now need to adhere to the Jewish customs. Primarily, the biggest one that they were talking about was circumcision. Welcome to your relationship with God. Welcome to your relationship with Jesus. Now you must be circumcised. And Paul has spent numerous, numerous amounts of time, numerous amounts of letters, saying that this is not needed. He says that we that we are the circumcision, it says in verse 3. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. In Romans chapter 2, verse 29, Paul talks about this as well. He says, but a Jew is not, uh, is not, uh, hold on, I should turn there. <laughs> it's good to turn to the scripture in which you're about to quote. Let's make sure we get it right. 229, but a Jew is is one in, inwardly, excuse me, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of an outward sign. It's a matter of an inward tra uh, transformation that has happened. And that's what we've had. That's what believers have had. We have been transformed from the inside out. We've had this, this peace removed from our inside, and God is transforming us. And Paul, he goes into this kind of elaborate uh, diatribe of this uh, confidence in the flesh as he talks about. And then he talks about that if you've had reason, these people that are talking about like, oh, you need to do all these things. If anything, I have more of a reason to be saying that than anyone else. Because it's kind of like anything you can do, I can do better almost is what it felt like as you were reading it. But he says, you want to talk about circumcision and being circumcised? I was circumcised on the eighth day as prescribed by the law. I'm a member of the people of Israel, God's chosen people. He says, not just a member of the chosen people of Israel, but the tribe of Benjamin. I can trace my family lineage. I have a true lineage that we can trace back to Benjamin, who 
his name before it was turned to Paul was Saul, who he was named after Saul, the first king that came from the tribe of Benjamin. The holy city of Jerusalem resides in the territory that was given to the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin, Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 12, that they were the beloved of the Lord. Paul knew this. They were the beloved of the Lord. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the, he was the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the bee's knees. Actually, I don't even know what that, I probably shouldn't use that term. I don't know what that means, the bee's knees. I've just heard people say it. Uh, but he was the, the best of the best. As accordance to the law, he was a Pharisee. He had dedica- dedicated himself to learning God's laws and forming some strict foundations to adhere to them. And as for zeal, he persecuted the church. When the threat rose to Judaism, to his religious beliefs, these followers of Jesus, these followers of the way, he didn't just sit idly by, he took action. He pursued members of the way. And as to righteousness under the law, he says, I was blameless, faultless. And here we have some things where you look at Paul's confidence in the flesh that he could have and that he could boast more of than anyone else that's even saying this, that you need to adhere to these things or do these things. Some of these things he had no control over. Some of these things happen from in the womb. I don't know any eight-day-olds that get to decide when they're circumcised. I don't know any child that's born that gets to decide what family they're born into. had nothing to do with his decisions. And then here we get to the kind of second half of the things, the things that he's pursued, the things that he's done, the zealousness that he's shown, the dedication that he's shown in learning about God's word and pursuing God's word and pursuing righteousness and pursuing all these things. So he says, I could make this argument, but I place no confidence in the flesh. All those things that I just described, everything that I just told you in verse 2 through 6, I don't place confidence in that. Why? Well, he tells us in verse 7 through 10, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. One thing, as, as we look here, starting in verse 7, uh, loss here does not necessarily equal bad. Like I, I did a little equation on my notes, loss equals sign slash out does not equal bad. Was his upbringing bad? Was the dedication that Paul showed in being dedicated to God's word and knowing God's word bad? No. It's just that right now, all the things that define him, all the things that give him his identity, all the things that give him his worth, all the things that give him his value, everything that makes him acceptable in people's eyes, are nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. 
They're nothing. I was thinking about this. He uses the term gains and loss, and it makes me think of the stock market. I don't know how many of you out there buy stocks, invest in stocks. If you have a retirement account, it's probably invested in stocks. But most times, if you're investing money, you know, you might have an interest rate on a savings account that gets you 1%. You know, and there's some CD options that are out there. You might get like 2 to 3% of a return on an investment. If I'm going to invest my money, you know, outside of those realms, you know, I'm looking for somewhere between 8 and 12% at least to be considered a good investment. You know, and you look online on all these websites, and, you know, like stock tips and all this jazz. And they'd be like, man, if you bought this stock back in 2000 and if you had it today, it's had a 10,000% return and it's unbelievable. And they try to get you to buy their services, get their information. What Paul is saying is the stock that I've purchased in Jesus has skyrocketed so much, it is exponentially so high that all the other investments that I had, however they could be good, are nothing in comparison to the power and the benefit of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. They are loss. They are nothing. They are inconsequential. When you look at your account, you look at your portfolio, there's only one that you're looking at and you're going, oh my, oh. And everything else is loss. When I was looking at this passage in the message translation, Eugene Peterson writes about this like this. He says, yes, all the things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and he and be, excuse me, and be embraced by him. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I'm assuming some, some of these words that Paul is, is speaking to you might be making you be feeling a little uneasy. I know for a fact because it makes me feel a little uneasy. When I go, do I, do I believe this? Do I do this? Do I believe that the value of knowing Christ is the most important thing in the world? The most important thing in my life? Do I treat it as such? Knowing Christ, that we've been made righteousness through faith in Christ. We have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And that it is by His work alone, not by anything that we've done. Maybe for some of you, uh, some of you that are listening, that maybe you don't know Christ yet. If there are areas in your life that you feel comfortable in regards to your eternity, maybe you feel that you're, you're covered in the afterlife as it's considered for, because you're a good person. Maybe you're, you're better than most. You, you have your own sense of personal piety that's pretty good. Or maybe you're an atheist and you believe there is no God and it doesn't matter. So there's nothing that seems to, and why are Christians always seeming to be trying to convert me? You know, maybe you've come from that boat. Hopefully the reason they're trying to convert you comes because they believe that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with the Father. Maybe for those of us that are believers, that this is the part that I found very very uh, convicting for me this week, was what, what rubbish do you hold on to? The word here for rubbish that he used, uh, Eugene Peterson calls it dog dung. Uh, when you look at it, it is a derogatory term for poop. I'll let you fill in the blank for other words that we could use today. 
What is the rubbish that we hold on to? Do we, do we try to justify ourselves before God? Maybe we've gotten into this boat where we don't put our faith in Jesus alone and we feel maybe that if we tell more people about Jesus, if we tell more people about, you know, atheists about Jesus and other people about Jesus, we just tell more people that therefore God will love us more and then that's how we will be made right before God. But do we know God? If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it's the end of Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. And this was a passage for me growing up in the church that always terrified me. Always terrified me. Because it says here in Matthew 7, verse 21, these are Jesus' words himself. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is Jesus' words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here they had done all these amazing things. Jesus, we've done all these great things by the power of your name, by the power of who you are. Jesus says, depart from me because I did not know you. Is it coming to light the importance of us knowing God? What do we hold on to that's getting into the way of us knowing God more? What rubbish do we hold on to? I was thinking about making a list of the things like in my life personally that I think about like, man, are the things that I hold on to that are getting into the way, the rubbish that is getting in the way of me knowing God more. And I'm not going to give you a list today, but I am going to ask you a question. Is what was the first thing that came to mind for you when we started talking about it? Maybe it was when we first read the passage and you heard this where, where Paul was saying that I consider all things loss. What was the thing that you started thinking about? Like, oh, I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that. And this can be different for each and every one of us. It can be different for each and every one of us. Let's think about that. Because Paul's saying that the righteousness that we have from God does not come from the works of what we've done. By nothing that what we've done, it comes through faith in Christ alone. And in verse 10 again, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. (laughs) That I may know him. This phrase that Paul uses here by the power of the resurrection. I, I was thinking... This uh, this power of the resurrection got Paul in trouble many, many, many times. If you have your Bibles and you wanted to turn to Acts chapter 23 with me, you don't have to. But this seems to be where Paul gets in trouble a lot. Here he's standing before the high priest in Acts 23 verse 6. It says, now then Paul received... Uh, Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees. He cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. The message that he was preaching, the message that he was bringing about the hope 
of the resurrection of the dead was why he was on trial. If we look again later in Acts 24, 21, when he stands before Felix, he says the same thing. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. In Acts 26, verse 8, when he stands before Agrippa, he says, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? This power of the resurrection got Paul standing in some very difficult situations before some big leaders of the time. I was thinking about this, um, about this question. How do you define, in your own words, what the power of the resurrection means? What is the power of the resurrection? I think this will be a question. I don't know about how many of you, when I was younger, my parents created a questionnaire. Uh, that anyone that wanted to date me had to fill out this questionnaire and answer some questions. And, uh, you know, we had a little interview by my parents and they went over the questions. It's a, a family tradition that I hope to pass on and do for my children. And I think this might be one of the questions because some of them are difficult questions. Some of them are easy and they're made up. But define in your own terms what this verse means, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. Now here Paul is not saying that when I die that I just that I, I'm just afraid of death and I don't want to die and that when it's needed you know I want some of this this resurrection that's not what he's saying. In 1 Corinthians Paul reminds us that if Jesus didn't die on the cross and raise from the dead if he was not resurrected our faith is meaningless. It means nothing. Everything that we have, everything that we believe in is worth nothing. And that we are to be pitied above all, more pitied above all people. If we believe these things in the Bible, if we believe what Jesus said, but he did not die and he did not raise from the dead. But if he did, as we believe that Jesus raised from the dead, and the power of his resurrection is that through Jesus, through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that he has made the way, he has paved the way for every man, woman, and child to pass from spiritual death to life. That through faith in Jesus Christ, he has paid the price, he has redeemed his radiant bride, and on the day, one day in the future, he will return to make his bride his own. The church. He will return for us. And those that have fallen asleep will experience a physical resurrection as well. We'll be given new bodies that no longer grow tired or weary or feel pain or shed tears. And Paul wants to be a part of this. He wants to be a part of what Jesus is doing. He wants to share in knowing God and this power of the resurrection. Paul said in the verses we looked at in Acts that I am a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. He believed that it was possible. And he wanted to live a life serving God, knowing God, where he got the opportunity to see dead men and women come to life. He wanted to see dead men and women come to life. And he's willing to share in Christ's suffering to do this. He suffered, Christ suffered for the mission, and he will too. And this is where I go when it talks about here is sharing in, in Christ's suffering. We want to share in God's joy. We want to share in his resurrection. We want to share in his power. But how often do we line up that we want to share in Christ's suffering? As Paul said earlier in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, he said, let each one of you not only, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. And Paul is willing to do this as well, to take on the form of the of a servant that he's willing to follow his Savior to the point of death and share in the suffering for his mission to see dead men and women come to life. I look through the, the records we have here in scriptures of, of Paul's life and the missions that he went on. And sometimes you look at it in awe and you go, man, this guy, he did so much. He was a part of so many things. He would tell you that it was God working through him. It was Jesus working through him. He was a part of the mission. He surrendered himself. He counted all things as loss to the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. And it was from this desire, it was from this, this belief that shaped everything that he did. And this is for myself, as I was looking at this this week, just thinking about myself, do I live life this way? Father, do I, do I live this life this way? What, what rubbish, what things do I have in my life that I prioritize more than you, that I consider more of a value than you? Father, help me to remove those things. Send me help if it's needed. Father, because I want to see, as you did, dead men and women come to life. It's the greatest thing. I often joke, (laughs) it's funny, I didn't even think about the fact, this joke is today, like this week, the NFL season kicked off. I always joke that for my, my, as a father of my three children, that I have two desires for my children. That when I am done, when I am old, when I die, Lord willing, before my children, and I look at all of them, there's two things that I want to be said about them, is that, number one, that they love the Lord, and that they love the Browns, the Cleveland Browns. And this is my sense of humor coming out, because really there is only one thing that I care about for my children, and that's that they they love the Lord, and that they know the Lord, and they love Him with all all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that this desire that I have for my children should not be just for my children alone, but for your children and for you and for your coworkers and for your friends and the people that you know, the people that you come in contact with, the people that you don't know, the people that hate you, the people that are your enemies, the people that want to see you fail and want nothing but horrible things for you. Because that's what our Savior has done for us. He has provided a way, he has provided a righteousness for us that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works, not by anything that you've done, not by the law, but by him and him alone. I hope that we as a church here at LifePoint, as a family, that we can be people that pursue vigorously, that pursue passionately knowing God to the best of our ability. We hope here at LifePoint to help partner with you in that journey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we had to look at your word. Although it may be just a short time today, 
Father, I thank you for the lasting implications that will be in our minds and be on our hearts. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for us in sending your son Jesus to set the example for us to live a life of a servant, to empty himself to, to, to the point of death on a cross for the sake of the mission to bring us to you, to be able to bring us back in relationship with you and bring us back into relationship with the Father. Father, we thank you that you were willing to do this for us, and we ask that you help us to be a people that are willing to do this for others. Father, that we'd be willing to do this for the least of these, for people that we don't even know. Father, I ask that you be working in our hearts this week, that you'd be helping us to identify the things, the hindrances that we need to throw off so that we can run the good race. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have. We ask that you be with us this week, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.